Hey Rodney, did you know Slack's been a part of the Ready for as long as I have? You mean like back in the Bryant Park days? You know it. Even when there were only a couple of us working out of a cafe in Midtown, Slack is where we came together to tackle the future of work. Over eight years later, we're fully decentralized across eight time zones, and we still do it all with Slack. That's right, because it's the AI-powered platform for growing your business, keeping your teams connected, and making work legitimately simpler. Now you can get up to speed on a new project with one-click summaries or find exactly what you need when you need it with an AI-supercharged search function. It makes your day-to-day easier and gives you the freedom to focus on what really matters, your future. Grow your business without the grind in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. I'm always sad because very rarely do I actually have a donut during a donut. And when I do, I feel like I'm really nailing it. Yeah. Tighten up your donut game. (laughs) Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Rodney Evans, and that guy over there is Sam Sperlin. Hello, everyone. It is this guy, Sam Sperlin. Welcome to At Work with the Ready, a podcast about modernizing organizations as the future of work meets the present moment. Each episode, we turn our attention to one common organizational pattern that we think is worth digging into. We pull it apart and we propose solutions for what to do instead. It's like a tear and share role. I learned about that on the British Bake Off. I'm going to bring some sort of carbohydrate into every episode of this show. That's my promise to you, Sam. I knew that was going to happen. What I'm surprised by that is happening within the first 30 seconds. So You know what? Well done. I got thresholds to clear. Uh, This week, because Sam begged us to, we're going to talk about the one-on-one meeting. I'm just kidding. I'm really excited about talking about this. I started talking to my friends who lead teams about it and like, wow, there is a real variety of perspectives on how to do this and also not to do this out there. So it's going to be dope. But before we get into it, we're going to check in, Sam. I got us one. What is one of your favorite ways for opening a non-superficial conversation with a colleague? Maybe it's feedback, maybe it's something else, but it's not just like kittens and butterflies. Mm, Yeah. So I like to ask someone if it is an okay time for something spicy. Travis, this is for you because you hate it when I say that word. (laughs) Travis and I had a very interesting philosophical conversation on the way home from a retreat about the word spicy because some people are like, that's a stupid thing to say. And for me, it's like a non-pejorative way to signal that something that might feel a little like controversial or a little pokey or might bring up some reactions is about to happen. And so I might say something in a one-on-one like, Sam, I have something a little bit spicy to talk to you about. Is now a good moment for it? or not. And then kind of put it on you a little bit to drive. So if you're like, well, can you tell me what it's about? Can you tell me how spicy? Can you tell me how long? Then like, I would let you then determine the parameters or the constraints. But my opening gambit is not, here's the TLDR, you're fired from the podcast. My opening gambit is, I have something I need to talk to you about. It might be difficult in some way. Can we? How might we is now it. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? I was going to say something very, very similar, but this is a very, very mild spice. Whatever a very, not a jalapeno, a bell pepper level of spice. Bell peppers Uh, are not spicy, Sam. 
Whatever is Michigan between a bell boy. pepper and a jalapeno. I love uh-huh. spicy food. Don't throw my Midwest heritage at my face. Uh, if like you that. think a bell pepper is spicy, <laughs> I don't. I don't. I'm I don't. Concerned. Okay. Carry on. Oh, wait. Are you about peppers. to tell me something spicy? Uh, <laughs> I'm doing it right now. I'm modeling. Okay. Uh, no, but in this case, the reason I was saying it was very mild spice is that working with a partner on a project, he uh, facilitated an action meeting yesterday, which was like. 90% amazing, really good. And I had a couple of pieces of feedback because of course I do because I'm the action meeting guy. And we had an action meeting today um, and I threw it on the agenda and I was like, hey, I have 10% better feedback if you want it. Um, uh-huh. And that was the entirety of the agenda item. And if he had said, you know what? Like, I don't need it right now or like give it to me in some writing, I would have done that. But similar to you, kind of just like opened the container of like, hey, look at this thing in here. Do you want to talk about it? Here's a very brief description of it. And then because he works at the ready, wanted that feedback and and we did the thing. I think that's cool. I think the underlying sort of heuristic here is go gently into the space with your counterparty. Don't shove them into the (laughs) deep end of the non-superficial or potentially spicy or difficult conversation. And once you're both in the pool, don't beat around the bush then. Right. Like, like wade gently into the pool now. with Let's consent. go ahead and do it. I'm getting and tired. And now let's fucking swim. Once we're in there, don't be like hedgy yeah. and yeah, loose yeah. and smushy. Once we're in there, then just be like, here's the feedback. Anyway, yeah. now we're getting into the episode. Now we're So into why it. don't you actually get us into <laughs> the episode and tell us why you wanted right. to talk about one-on-ones. What is the essential organizational pattern that you see play out? Yeah. So what I want to talk about is not just like how to do good one-on-ones. What I want to talk about is what I have been calling kind of an organizational culture of one-on-ones. So the only way we're able to get things done is that basically everybody is in a rhythm of one-on-ones with everybody else in the organization at all times. And I've seen that now at a couple of clients and you know, because we're in this new format, we're going to spend some time trying to unpack and understand it. I think there's a good reasons and there are some really good beneficial things for having that sort of of culture, but I'm also starting to get frustrated with it. And I thought we Mm. could uh, explore that a little bit. Okay. That's the thing. So culture of one-on-ones, these are meetings that are generally or often are between manager and subordinate, but certainly can be between peers. Totally. I see that a lot. And I see that a lot in places where work isn't getting done in groups or in teams. You start to see the cross-functional peer one-on-one. That's like, this is where I go to get my needs met because we don't actually yeah. have the operating rhythm that we need. Totally. So yeah, so the web sort of spreads out. But usually they're scheduled. These are usually not ad hoc meetings. And let's talk a little bit about like, why? Why does a culture of one-on-ones emerge in a system? Well, I think you've already alluded to a really good reason, which is I think a culture of one-on-ones emerges when we have a culture of bad meetings. So we're in meetings, but we're not getting needs met. So in order for me to go do things, I need to get feedback from someone or I need to talk to someone. And the meeting we just spent an hour in or 90 minutes in was primarily a status readout to the leader of the team. That didn't get me anything I needed. So now I got to go talk to Rodney and Allie and Alistair about the things that we actually have to do. And I'm going to do those one-on-one because their calendars are insane as well. So getting four of us into a meeting together is impossible. But getting each of you one-on-one, that's the thing I can actually wrap my arms around. 
Yeah. So there's an operational lens that is easeful. There is a typical symptom, which is group meetings suck and don't get needs met. So we have to get them met somewhere else. And then there is some like psychological underpinnings to the one-on-one culture that I always think are really interesting to dig into. So one is one-on-one cultures allow for a lot of slipperiness because what I say to you and what I say to somebody else, and it gives a lot of control because you're in a unrecorded small two-person little vacuum to maybe be more candid, maybe give more pointed opinions, maybe tell only parts of certain stories to certain people. When you're in a one-on-one context, particularly if you're a team leader and you're talking to your direct reports, it gives you an opportunity to politic. And to influence. Mostly that's not good, but mostly it is more comfortable than saying all of the words and information that need to be said in a group, knowing that some people will take umbrage. So it's easier for me to say to the finance person, like, look, I know you're doing a great job and this is just really hard and blah, 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 blah. And for me to say to the growth person, like, look, I know you're doing a really great job, but like the pipeline just looks a little bit light. Then for in a group meeting to go like, yo, (laughs) the fourth quarter was no bueno. What is happening here? Like, it's just, it's a lot, it feels a lot gentler and like, there's a lot more room for like massaging the info in private than in public. Totally. And I have a lot of empathy for that, especially in particularly toxic cultures where psychological yeah. safety in teams just does not exist. You know, totally. Building psychological safety across 10 people, I think, is an exponentially more difficult thing than having kind of like quasi-psychological safety in a one-on-one, which is Absolutely. primarily just because other people can't, can't hear me. And it's easier to have those conversations. Absolutely. And to that end, like I remember when I was working in a real job in a real company a long time ago. And and basically what in a group is about the ready. I I love that. Continue. I don't know what this is. This is an experiment in organizing human effort. Yeah. Um but I remember getting the feedback that just disagreeing with someone in a meeting was like embarrassing for them. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like, mm-hmm. I, re- I remember it very, very clearly because it was not an ad hominem attack. It, it wasn't mm-hmm. even an, an attack. It was truly me being like, I was the business partner and there was a learning and development person there. And she was presenting a thing around succession planning that she wanted us to roll out. And I was like, I don't think the business will do this or do a good job or wants this or like, yeah. you know, I talk to them all. It's the beginning of the year. I talk to them about their priorities this year in terms of their workforce and their talent planning. And this is not on the list. So like, I'm not really sure how we're going to. And I got the feedback afterward that was like, that was humiliating. Don't ever do that again. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like I, it's not that it's a bad idea. I'm just coming from my, anyway, the point is I was basically told next time talk to your manager and your manager will talk to her manager and they will negotiate at their level if there needs to be a change, which I was like, okay, but like right. weird. Yeah. Super weird. And, you know, probably a lesson learned from you in that like, all right, I'm not going to show up like that to like, it's not worth it. Like I'll, mm-hmm. I'll just decline to engage in, in the future. 
Another thing that comes to mind for me on this is that it can feel really organic to work in this way. Like, yeah, I've, I've definitely seen cultures where it's like, hey, I hear you about operating rhythms and whatever, but like, we're all friends here. We'll just talk to whoever I need to talk to to get the work done. You're putting too much structure, too much forethought into what we're trying to do here. And I think it is always the person who is saying that uh, is always vastly overrepresenting how positive and easy it is to get things done, maybe because they are have the most power. And when they call someone, everyone, you know, responds immediately or when they slack or DM like, oh, yeah, you get immediate responses to everything. But that's that's no way to live. Yeah, I think that's right. I was thinking about this on my drive today. And you and I haven't have never talked about this, but as I was reflecting on one-on-one cultures, I realized something, which is that I often see them crop up in places where a power holder on the team is a real long talker. <laughs> so where the yeah, team more, meeting is one that. person basically yeah. filibustering for yeah. 55 minutes, then the real conversation almost necessarily has to happen somewhere else because if that person is in the room, it can't happen there because there's no air left. Yeah, totally. And at that point, it's just a like a survival mechanism. Like, right. I'm like, all right, we got to do this somehow. So let's, let's have It's like we got to let the once. air out of that tire yeah. or it's going to explode. So we'll just do that. We'll just like let that pony run. And then you and I, yeah. afterward, we'll talk about the thing that we're never going to yeah. get to in that meeting. Yeah. So what is it then about this that is bad? I mean, we've talked about a couple of things. We've alluded to a few things. But like, why is this a pattern worth interrupting anyway, you think? Yeah. So I do think that one-on-ones in general create a lot of mistrust. It's ironic because to your point, they crop up because of a lack of psychological safety and a lack of candor in groups and a lack of ability to disagree without shame or, you know, embarrassment or feeling like you're narking. And the end result is actually more of that because you start to be like, well, what does she say over there? And like, what is she saying to him about me? And like, well, if she is telling me this about him, then what is she saying to him about? Like you get a lot more mistrust because there's no daylight and human beings. This is something that I've really learned the hard way in the last few years in the absence of information and clarity and frankly, daylight Human beings make up their own stories and they project their own shit onto dynamics that have absolutely nothing to do with that shit. And that is something that is just true of human nature. So if I'm someone who worries that you don't like me or that you don't enjoy talking to me and I find out that you and Jack have a separate meeting about the podcast that I'm not invited to, (laughs) I might think that the reason for that is so you and Jack can talk shit about me. Yeah. I mean, in this case, that is accurate. But yeah, generally, <laughs> that is a that is a true statement. <laughs> but you're right, though. That's the evolutionary kind of like thing about our brains. We latch on to the negative. We amplify the negative because when you are a human on the savannah 10,000 years ago, you got to be aware of what's happening around you. Now, when you are a human in the year of 2024, sitting in front of your computer, those brain parts that have not evolved a whole lot in the last 10,000 years are being directed at your screen and your dynamics within your team when really they are trying to prevent you from being eaten by a saber-toothed tiger. Like we're all just sitting in rooms here. But when you look at our hearts and our brains, it looks very different. 
it's all over the place. So I definitely no. think that's a bad one. What other symptoms I've, do you see? Yeah, I've got I've got one. This isn't like a new one for me. This year in in this work, where it's happened a couple of times, which is it starts from a really positive place of you know someone we're working closely with in our project in our transformation effort will go and have a conversation with a leader who is connected to the transformation work but was not like in a meeting with us or basically there's a chain of one-on-ones happening and i've noticed that this game of telephone which we are all familiar with you know you say something to one person and then they say it to the next person messages get garbled that's actually yeah. not my takeaway like of course that happens it's the emotional message gets garbled and generally amplified upward. So the conversation that the VP has with the CMO, the CMO expressed some very kind of minor off the cuff kind of concern about a thing. The VP talking to the director, that little bit of negativity from the CMO has been turned up a little bit more. The director going to go talk to the manager, the CMO is pissed about this thing. And that was not the actual message, but it has been amplified through this game of telephone that is really unhelpful. Yeah. And I feel like I've been on the butt end of that like five different times in the last Uh two years. It's funny. I've been on, I think, the other end of that where I'll hear, you know, fourth hand. The amplified thing, yeah. My understanding is like, you were mad about this or you don't like this or we're not supposed to. And I'm like, what? I said I didn't want to do that meeting on a Wednesday. I didn't say like, I think resource planning is stupid. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, no, totally. You know? Yeah, it's it's interesting how that happens. I also think that because one-on-ones really can be a place for influencing and they can be a band-aid for a bad operating rhythm. They do this thing that we see happen a lot when we're trying to change something about an operating system, which is they buffer people from feeling the pain of what actually needs to change. Mm. So because Mm -hmm. people can still go and get their needs met in the hallways and and dark corners of the one-on-one, they don't feel the pain of their broken operating rhythm. And so they maintain and like uphold that inefficiency and that time and energy suck. And I've been thinking a lot about this lately. So much of our work is stripping things away that are the hedges or the band-aids on the shitty org design so that people have the real experience of their operating system and can make a better choice. And one-on-ones are one of those things where if you don't take it away, if you don't take that like net away, people won't lean into the fact that they have to fix their fucking meetings. 100%. And by over-relying on the one-on-one, you actually lose the good parts of the one-on-one. Because I don't think either one of us is going to sit here and about to make the argument that you shouldn't have one-on-ones in your organization. Maybe you should have more if you're a rare organization. Many of you probably need far fewer, but ultimately one-on-ones still play a really important role in most organizations. They're just not the tool for everything all the time. Yeah, 100%. The one other symptom that I see, this happened in a client a few years ago. He was such a cool, cool guy. I really thought a lot of him. And he and I were having a conversation about one-on-ones because he had been the founder and then he had become the CEO and he like held a lot of soft power in the organization and he had a fuck ton of one-on-ones. And he was a very like open door, like come Mm -hmm. on in guy. He also was like, 
more of a believer in servant leadership than I am. The dynamic that that created was like, he was just the dumpster for people to come in and go, let me tell you what the problem is. I'll just come here and like barf organizational friction and gossip and my own personal ax to grind, et cetera, et cetera, on you. And then because of his style, proclivities, generosity, he would be like, okay, let me take that away and see what I can do. And then he was drowning in organizational bullshit. A lot of the things that came to him in private would never have been talked about by those people in a more public space where something could actually be done about them or in a team environment, which is really where the work was. So they're coming to him to say, you know, I need more budget or we need more comp or we need to make this higher, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, well, the place to do that is like with the peers in the leadership team and to be horse trading with the people who you're actually horse trading with, not to have every single person go and make their case to him and then him go into the back room, try to fucking beautiful mind it and come out and give everybody what they want. But I see that happen actually quite often. And it's usually with leaders who are like very big hearted and very kind. And they think that they're doing a service to these people who have an invitation to come on in and make requests and be unfiltered. But what they're actually doing is creating quite a bit of sludge in the organization and more disempowerment. Because what they're saying to people is, you hand me the problem and I'll solve it. Not, we'll talk about the problem and how you might solve it. Or even better, we'll talk about where this problem actually lives in our organization and should be solved in the group that is responsible for it. Yeah, 100%. Should we shift into talking about what works instead or what we think, what we have seen work? We shall. We should and we shall. Sam, why don't you kick us off with your first idea of what to do instead of death by a million one-on-ones? Cool. So we've already alluded to this in the first section, but a dearth of one-on-ones is a sign that the algorithm is broken in some way. So my first place to start playing with an organization that is realizing that it has way too many one-on-ones is starting to figure out, well, what is the structured operating rhythm that we actually need to have in place? We have our take on what those default stack of pancakes are, as we talked about last week. And that's where we would start. So some sort of weekly unblocking meeting, we like something called an action meeting, some sort of monthly-ish retrospective where we are pausing and looking at the system and actually learning from uh, how the work is actually going, maybe a quarterly strategy meeting where we're looking at our more kind of medium-term big rocks. That as a basic sort of stack of meetings can hopefully start to create venues and arenas for conversations that are better or best suited to be happening at the team level and instead of at those one-on-ones. Yeah. Here's something about this that I've struggled with, but I've like finally settled in my own brain. I used to be really overly concerned with every topic being interesting and relevant to every person. And I used to feel very jammed up about including people or bringing topics that say were relevant to four out of six people. 
You're talking about like in a weekly action meeting sort of context? Yeah, like in an action yeah. meeting. It's like, you know, there's a really good example of this at the ready that I'll use. So we've had this meeting called the marketplace meeting. It's basically where we tried to braid together the PL, the pipeline, and the capacity of our workforce. So understandably, that's our finance steward, our growth steward, and our transformation steward, and me. Looking at those things together and being like, how does this work? That left out two members of the source team, which is membership and agency. And I was very like, I don't want to waste their time on this thing that is not super, super pertinent to their day-to-day. But first of all, what I have learned is there is value in them having that situational context, even if it doesn't exactly impact every single decision they make. Two, these are very competent adult human beings who I believe if we are triaging something that is deeply unimportant and irrelevant, can entertain themselves for five minutes while we conclude something that they don't care about. And just in service of trade-offs, it's like wasting 10 minutes of Matt's time in that meeting, even over having a separate 30 or 60 minute one-on-one with Matt, where I'm potentially covering some of the same ground. Yeah. Yeah. It's just totally. it's it's trade-offs all the way down, but I think I have definitely made the mistake of being overly constrained in a group meeting because I didn't want anyone to feel like it was like not all that there was any sizzle no steak even for a minute. And actually I think a little bit of that is okay. I think that is absolutely okay. And I think it's important to I, I guess at least comparing it to most of our clients. The idea of, you know, you having some heartburn over five to 10 minutes of a meeting not being relevant to a person is a whole different world than what many of them are dealing with, which is like I half of my meetings all day long are not relevant to me. That's so true. I dream of the world where I have a 10 minute sort of like mental break, sort of like, oh, okay, I don't have to be totally like plugged in a hundred percent here. Let me like go look at Slack real quick or just like see what else is going on. I'll plug back in. I'm fine. It's okay. You're fine. And like, this is the thing that we're going to talk about some other moves here that might sound counterintuitive. I don't think there's anything wrong in a meeting if I'm facilitating with going like, you three, this does not involve you. So pay attention or tune out. I'll hit you up when I need you back here. I was in a meeting the other day with the membership TOTS crew and they were like, this part doesn't involve you. Go do something else. And I was like, okay. They're like, we'll slack you when we want you to pay attention again. And I was like, cool. It's like, I have 10 minutes of shit to read. It's fine. It's fine. All right. Hit me with another idea that's not algorithm related. Yeah. So here's what I think you should do instead of the one-on-one that is typical, that is update-y, that is influence-y, that is politic-y, that is very work content oriented, is spend time in a one-on-one doing advice, doing feedback, doing coaching. My heuristic for this is I don't talk in one-on-one meetings with people I'm teaming with about anything that has to do with the whole team, with most of the team, or with the organization. Because there's no reason, if I think of our one-on-one time as being the most valuable time that we have to do the deepest work together. I'm not going to waste it on like, what was that metric? Did I see a weird number for March yeah. crop up? Because I don't need to do that one-on-one with you. I can do that in a group meeting. So really try to pivot 
the one-on-one from whatever bullshit it looks like now, which having gotten a bunch of data points on this, it does look like bullshit, and try to pivot it to being about development. And this doesn't have to be like a boss subordinate being like, what are you working on? What are your goals? This can really be like just, I just think of it as advice. A lot of my one-on-one meetings at the ready are just people being like, can I get your advice about this? What do you think about this? And sometimes they're bringing me actual content that they want advice on. Sometimes they're bringing me an interpersonal situation that they want advice on. Sometimes they're like, how do you think I did in that client meeting? Whatever the thing is, but it's very advicey and it goes both ways. So I ask for advice also, even if in a traditional power dynamic, I would technically be a boss. It doesn't need to be one way. These are just good opportunities for sharing perspectives. And I think just think about that container as a place where you can have conversations that you can't have anywhere else because they are private conversations. And then use that as a guide for more depth, more opportunity for connection, for coaching, for feedback, for advice. Yeah. And I think the other flavor of that is truly like in a peer to peer sort of dynamic, which in our system, I think what we call our donut meetings are a good example of like these meetings are purely just about building relationships. And we prioritize them, we put them on the calendar. And when one of them comes up on my calendar, I spend 30 minutes just like hanging out with a colleague and better understanding them sharing things about our lives. And to a certain kind of perspective that looks really unproductive. But Mm. especially if you are working in any sort of hybrid or distributed sort of organization, that conversation used to just happen organically all the time. Walking into the building at lunch, walking down the hallway, like you got to know people that way. And if you don't prioritize that in a primarily distributed organization, that never happens. So it's a different flavor of productivity that is worth investing in as well. And that's a great place for one-on-ones. I agree. And even in more traditional co-located environments, because of the corporate mask and like performative cultures, I think that kind of connection often doesn't happen anyway. You know, people are really- It's been so long since I've had that. I don't even know anymore, but yes. Yeah, people can be quite loath to get to know one another as human beings, certainly in any short order of working together. So I feel like having a venue like a donut, sort of regardless of your work setup, is really, really valuable. It's great to have a space that's just like, we're just going to talk about puppies or travel or dreams or whatever. And there are a lot of people at the ready in particular that like I wouldn't cross paths with at all. If I didn't have donuts. And that's probably true for most, like, how often do you really cross paths with people not in your project team outside of a donut? Very rarely. Very rarely. So get the donut plug in for Slack, y'all, and start donutting it up. (laughs) That's right. I need actual Uh, donuts that makes it more fun. Yeah, absolutely. I'm always sad because very rarely do I actually have a donut during a donut. And when I do, I feel like I'm really nailing it. Yeah. Tighten up your donut game. (laughs) It's literally a thing nobody has ever had to say to me before, but I think is actually true right now. Um, (sighs) One last thought for me on this is that if you are sensing that the nature of the one-on-ones that are happening in your organization are really status-based, it makes me start to think about where is there a tool 
solution or process solution to be explored here. So when if, you say status base, you mean like status updates, uh, not status, status update. of a hierarchy. Okay. Totally. Status update. Like, hey, tell me what's happening on this or explain these numbers to me, that that sort of thing. Makes me start to wonder, well, do we have easily accessible information radiators? Do we have single source of truth on a bunch of things where you could click a link and go get 80% of what you want as a leader so that we don't have to have a meeting where I come and explain to you what is happening on a project or what the numbers are. And if we do end up having that one-on-one, maybe we can talk about something substantive instead of me just giving you the, the update. So I'd be looking for ways for status to live in software that could potentially take the place of a lot of one-on-ones. I love that. My last idea for y'all, and we're going to link to an article that Allie wrote a while ago about one-on-ones, which I just reread and like, man, she's really fucking smart, is if all of what Sam and I are saying sounds like, you know, hippie roadshow and you're just like, I cannot and I will not, no thank you to all of that. Fair enough. Look, what I hear from my friends who are in like normal jobs is that their one-on-ones are very tactical in nature. They're very clinical. They're very transactional. And so all of what we're saying is pretty radical compared to what's generally out there. I had one friend who told me that like she is considered very progressive for just doing one-on-ones because they're basically like considered kind of unacceptable where Mm. she works. Anyway, my point is if all of this feels like it might be a little bit too out there or too wild, a really easy way to start changing your one-on-one dynamic is to start with a little baby retro each week. Mm. And like, Mm -hmm. if you and I were doing a weekly one-on-one, we could put cards in Notion, we could put stickies in a mural board, we could put bullet points in a Google Doc, and we could just start with like, what went well this week? What didn't go so well this week? That could be it. That could be it. We could put on some music and we could take three minutes and we could write three bullet points each for what went well, what didn't go so well since last Friday. And then we could read each other's responses and we could have a conversation about it. Yep. That move is probably better than at least 50% of what is happening out there one-on-one wise in terms of what kind of conversation can emerge from there, what kind of connections can be drawn, how we can start to recognize patterns, what we see come up week on week on week. We can really start to dig into some deeper topics in a very non-threatening way by starting with just a very light but written retrospective. And what is it about the written part of that that is important, you think? Um, I think it's that, first of all, it's easier to enter the arena when you write a few things down than when you say them verbally. Second, if you're doing it synchronously, then it's not like, I don't say like, well, what didn't go so well this week was that I forgot to do a check-in round at an action meeting. And yours is like, we got fired by a client. And it's like, oh, there's a real, there's a real asymmetry we're, we're here. We're working on different, different in scales terms here. Of our weeks. <laughs> <laughs> and like we always talk about in terms of meetings, like the idea is that the participants are using the container and they get to bring what they want to it. So if what I want to bring because I'm losing sleep is that I forgot to do a check-in round, and if what you want to bring is that you were asked off of a project, we should be able to do that, but like we are naturally going to anchor to the other person's level of depth. So writing yeah. it first and then like kind of living 
living with the results of that is a slightly pokey but not unsafe way to start to get into some deeper convos. Yeah, totally agree. Obviously, it's not about anonymity when there's only two people there. Because I think that's why we often will do written stuff first in a retro. Like, hey, you know, nobody knows what you're typing. Private mode is on. Go nuts. Uh, But I do think there is something about it's hard to hear your voice say a negative thing. It's easier to just type it out with your fingers and then, you know, have a conversation about it. I don't know what's going on there psychologically, but it feels very true to me. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like the magic of journaling too, right? It's a Mm -hmm. lot easier to Mm -hmm. like write down something that's pretty rugged than to speak it into the universe. So um, that's a really easy one in terms of getting started on what to do instead. Okay. I think it's hot take time. Hot take time. We should, I feel like we need like a stinger here. Get your what hot is takes. A stinger? What is a stinger? Oh, like, like an audio stinger? It's like some sort of like audio like hot take, hot zone. take zone. Or like hot take with Rodney and Sam. Like oh. something like that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Jack. You heard, you heard the this year. Sam wants a jingle, a stinger jingle. Uh, it sounds like I just gave you one, so you're welcome. <laughs> I guess we could just use that one. Um, all right. What are your main reflections from this very fun and windy exploration of one-on-one patterns in orgs? I think the the place that I would direct a friend, a colleague, a client toward is to find one sort of network of one-on-ones that could be replaced with something like a lean coffee. Uh, And this Mm. is something we have very recently done in a project that I'm working on. We have our kind of core team. We're working together every day, every week. We don't need one-on-ones like we're doing the thing. But we have some key executive stakeholders who are not in the work kind of on a day-to-day basis with us who we want to keep up to date with like what is happening and they want to know what is happening. So first instinct, you know, I'll have one-on-one with this person. You have the one-on-one with this person or I'll handle both of them. And very quickly, we realized like, ah, that's not great. Like we want them interacting with each other. We want to have like kind of the same story. So we invited them to a lean coffee meeting ostensibly about our project. And I'm sure you and Aaron have talked about lean coffee. We coffees. did, yeah. We called but it it's, OS it's, Coffee. There's a OS Coffees. There. Okay, yeah. great. So very simple. You bring people together around a theme. We generate specific topics of conversation together. We democratically vote up the ones that we want to talk about. And we work our way through those topics as many as we can in a time boxed way in the time that we have. And that worked very well for having that group of people coming together to talk about a thing. And it replaced a, a set of one-on-ones. And I think it's something that could work in other environments as well. So I think that's where I would recommend someone try to latch on to and see what they can do in their team or in their org. Nice. My starting point, which came from Chelsea. Thank you, Chelsea. This is so smart. When I read it, I nearly had chills. Is start asking the other person when they bring a topic to your one-on-one what they need from you or what would be helpful from you. Mm-hmm. And if what they want from you is like, let's just like edit this document together, just do it. Like everybody comes to one-on-one interactions, either like most people want to give advice. Like most people want to tell someone else what to do because we're humans and that's fine. But just coming from the stance of whatever the discussion topic is, whatever the content is, sitting in the place, if you're not the one who brought the topic of, what would be helpful for me right now 
is a really nice, really easy move, even if you're unwilling to do any of the other things that Sam and I have talked about, in the constraint of your existing one-on-one, start doing that. I love that. All right. That seems like a great place to wrap it up. Uh, If you liked what you heard, a review would be really great, especially a five-star one, or forward our show to someone who needs it. We just heard that our first episode got really passed around, and we were very delighted by that. So please help Sam and I get the word out about one-on-ones so that you don't have to have shitty ones. We're also always looking for new topics for the show. So if you have an organizational pattern that seems particularly sticky, please shoot us a note at podcast at the This show is edited by Taylor Marvin and produced by Jack Van Amberg, the best. At Work with the Ready is created by the Ready, where we help organizations around the world change the way they work. Thanks for listening. See you next time. <laughs>